Today's episode of No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome back, everybody. This is No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. I'm Arthur Staple, your host. And this week, we've got a very special guest, uh, a true dyed-in-the-wool Islander fan, uh, and also a guy who uh, writes a lot of really interesting stuff on Twitter and on a couple of other websites, including his own. Uh, it's Carrie Haber, also known as Haber Metrics on Twitter. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Carrie is the dad of a three-week-old baby? Yeah, three weeks. <laughs> so if he sounds a little tired, uh, that's why. Uh, I have been through that before, um, so I feel your pain. We all do. Anybody out there with newborns, or, um, it's uh, it's a grind. But um, now we're gonna we're gonna bring you back around, focus your mind to think about a month ago, before you had a baby, when there was hockey, uh, when you were doing charts about the Islanders and not about uh, the spread of this awful virus that I see that you're doing on Twitter, which is also a big help. But um, we're here to talk hockey, which. Uh, We'll hopefully take everybody's mind off what's uh, this long pause that's going on right now. Um, so, Carrie, uh, back a month ago, the Islanders were uh, in the midst of a seven-game winless streak. Um, they were not technically in a playoff spot. Now, with all the discussions about what it's going to look like, if they can even come back this year and play a playoffs, whether it's 16 teams, 20, 24, they'll probably be in it. But when you look at not just the numbers, but the games that they've played over the course of this season— where did it go wrong for this team? What or, or was it, you know, was it going wrong even when they were winning games in every way imaginable back in October and November? They're they're kind of a, a streaky team. So, you know, when they were on that 17 uh, game point streak, certainly they had their ebbs and flows, but overall they were playing a really strong team game and obviously that was the point of the season where they were the healthiest as well. Uh, you know, fast forward to the last couple of games and it's been up and down again. Um, I kind of agree with what Barry Trott said uh, in your piece yesterday, where it was definitely clear that they were starting to come out of it. Their their game, their last game against Vancouver, I thought was pretty strong. Uh, and, you know, when you take a look at that game versus the games that they were playing against Boston at home, it looked like a, a kind of a bit of a transformative scenario for them. So, you know, I do think that they were starting to break out of it. I think I said as much on Twitter, but overall this team is is it's tough to read because they're so dependent on a few players and their goaltending where if any of those things break, uh it it really can, you know, take things for a loop. And you know, with their goaltending struggling pretty much consistently over the last month, it was hard for them to to gain a lot of points. Uh, and ultimately, that's, that's I think, the real impetus for why that losing streak extended to the levels that it did. Yeah, you you know, you and I have talked back and forth a lot since since Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz took over. And obviously, last season was um, was a lot of factors that don't always show up uh, in, in the analytics that a lot of people look at, the publicly available numbers. Um, and they, you know, and, and I think uh, Lou and Barry have both 
combined have a lot of experience, and I don't think they they certainly don't dismiss analytics. I, I think we are in agreement that no one does anymore. Um, but they say you can't really rely solely on them. When you look at the team that they put out last year uh, and then into this year when they when there were some cracks that were showing, do you think it was um, they were kind of, uh, you know, the fact that they were defying a lot of league-wide trends last year with the style that they played, the sort of personnel they put out, what they relied on? Um, were they due for a fallback or, or was this a team that had adjusted well this year and just, you know, injuries and maybe a little bit of uh, lack of depth? And then, like you said, a, a step back in goaltending was really more of a culprit than they were due because the numbers said they were due. Yeah, I think it's a, a little bit of all of that. The, the beginning of last year, obviously, from a, a metrics perspective, was, was pretty rough. And that's where, you know, we heard a lot about PDO and, and all of that. But it never really seemed to hurt them throughout the course of the 2018-19 season because they got better as the season went on. And, and this year, um, it, it's looked a lot like last year where they came out of the gate and they struggled, but then they got really hot, had another period where they struggled. And then for the last 25 to 30 games, um, you know, even with the Adam Pellick injury, their numbers have been fine uh, overall. I think when you then go a little bit deeper into looking at things like their shooting percentage and specific players who have had tougher stretches, periods of time where they're still getting their chances, but they're not scoring as much. And when those are the players that you are reliant on and it's just not happening, they're snake bin or whatever, um, that's going to present one piece of it. And then, right, you mentioned the goaltending. You know, Robin Leonard and Thomas Grice last year put up a ridiculous season. Uh, to expect that to happen again this year would have been unrealistic even if Leonard had stayed. Uh, but, you know, the, their goaltending has still been pretty good when compared to the league overall. Not so much in the 10 games prior to the break here, but still, like, it shouldn't be enough to kind of break where everything, you know, break the entire high of the club basically mm -hmm. uh I, I think they're just in a position where they really rely on five or six players to score and you know if the pucks just aren't bouncing for them then that's going to really hurt their ability to put goals up yeah we talked you mentioned pdo which uh, for those uninitiated out there is uh is a made-up acronym it basically it's the it's the combination of save percentage and shooting percentage um so it's it's kind of like uh, OPS, I guess, in some ways in baseball. It's kind of an amalgam of a couple of other stats that aren't always commonly cited. But, um, you know, the Islanders are still uh, above, uh, you know, above average in PDO over the course of the entire season. Is that really the effect of, of a 16-3-2 start where they were getting very good numbers, save percentage-wise, from both of their goalies? And I think, you know, where we talked about um, – at least, you know, I think Varlamov has been pretty consistent all year. Thomas Grice is the one that's kind of like peaked early and, and has been a little bit tough. And then um, they're dropping shooting percentage among guys that they can't afford to have shooting percentage drop in. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, anytime you can go on, on a streak like a 16-3-2, you're going to have inflated, you know, shooting percentage and save percentage. It's just the way hockey works. It's, you know, those two metrics are extremely predictive when it comes to winning, but the problem is is that you can't predict when your shooting percentage or your save percentage is going to be high. And that's kind of the disconnect between all of that, right? So, yeah, you know, I think when you look back at that, everything was, was going really well for them, but they were playing legitimately well. Like, I think one of the things that gets um, 
I guess a little bit confusing sometimes is like a high PDO doesn't necessarily mean that the team isn't playing well. Like they're not mutually exclusive things in the sense that the team can be playing extremely well, which they were during that stretch, but also be getting bounces. And likewise, that can, you know, turn the other way too, where, you know, there were times during the season where they weren't getting bounces, but they also weren't playing very well. And so, you know, these things are, are moving targets, right? So success can be fleeting and so can, uh, failures, they can be fleeting too in this game. So trying to find or figure out what the right balance in terms of what is actually happening, I think is the real challenge in terms of trying to figure out who this team really is. Yeah. And l- let's pull back a little bit. Um, you know, you grew up on Long Island, a big Islander fan. Um, how did your how did your interest in analytics as it related to hockey start? And how do you marry that with being a, a diehard fan, which means being a bit irrational at times in your viewpoint of what the team is doing, which in, in you know, a lot of people's minds doesn't jive with the, you know, Mr. Spock cold analytic. Let's just, you know, point at the chart again and again and again and say, this is, this is the real truth, not what you see with your eyes. Yeah. So, you know, I, I grew up in an era where, you know, collecting baseball cards and video games and fantasy sports kind of all meshed at the same time. And I think that was the real impetus for me becoming, you know, really into the numbers behind what was actually happening on the field or on, on the ice. Um, and kind of like everyone else, I read Moneyball uh, about 10, 12 years ago. And at that point, it kind of hit me like, oh, there's probably some really cool stuff out there for hockey too. And that was right about the time where Corsi and Fenwick were just starting to pick up some steam online. So I, I, you know, like a lot of people, I used to you know, read the message boards and post. And I distinctly remember I came across an old analytic uh, metric called GBT, which essentially was like war, but not totally like that. It's kind of an all-encompassing thing. And uh, it was right after Garth Snow had signed Marty Reasoner and Brian Ralston that, that year. And I went on and I was like, this is all those guys had really high GVTs that that season. So I'm like, this is proof that the Islanders use analytics, and it's kind of been uh, kind of exploded from there. Um, obviously, we've gotten a lot smarter, I think, collectively since then. Um, but yeah, I mean, to answer your second question, uh, some years are easier than others, and it's been a process to really compartmentalize the difference between what I like, what my head may or may not agree with what the team is doing, versus uh, you know the the fan side of me, which is like doesn't really matter as long as they're winning games. And I think I've landed in a good place now with that where, you know, I feel, first of all, the the major thing as a fan that I think we all have to realize is that we really don't know that much. Um, You know, (laughs) neither do do we on this side, obviously. (laughs) So, but go ahead. And I think that works both ways, right? Like there's so many private facing metrics that exist with, you know, the big systems like iceberg and, and sport logic that we never see that coaches are specifically looking for. Um, and we have to basically in the public sphere manually track that. So that's one. And then contextually, there are things we don't know too. We don't, we don't know biometric data. We don't know like if players are feeling good or bad in a certain day, and that might influence uh, people getting a specific amount of ice time or line pairs or stuff like that. So I think in general, like the fact that we have to admit that we don't know anything and then kind of from there be like, okay, I'm comfortable making or having this opinion with what I know to be true, but that is not clearly the whole story. And once I think you get to that point, you can also shift back into like, I'm a fan and it really doesn't matter as long as the team is winning games, which is why when, you know, the 
team has had some level of success in the playoffs, it kind of throw a lot of it out the window because I'm like, they're here at this point, I, sitting on, you know, on Twitter and complaining about a line combination that exists probably isn't it or what really should be happening at this point. And so I think it's, it's a little bit of a balance, um, but it did, to be honest, take a little bit of time to get there. And I think that's just a, kind of the learning experience of focusing in on these things, but also trying to be true to the fan that I am. Um, analytically and personally, uh, in your in the last decade or so since you've taken a, a stronger interest in, in the analytics, what was your favorite Islander season? Um, you know, I think I hear from you and from other people that are analytically inclined that 2014-15 was kind of the most enjoyable season with the style that, that Jack Capuano had that team playing. They were incorporating some new guys um, that clearly, you know, at least a couple of them, I would say, you know, a guy like Nick Letty or a guy like Mikhail Grabowski, who had both had very good numbers in their previous uh, spots in terms of analytics. Um, it, it seemed like a team that played it at, at the way that uh, not only fans want to see play, but also uh, analytically inclined people want to see play. Yeah, that that team uh, is by far the number one, especially in the last decade. I think you know, it's unfortunate how that season ended. And I think under different circumstances, there, the potential for what that team could have done was, was a lot higher ultimately. Um, but you're right. Like they played a really strong offensive game. The big, the biggest difference from that with that season compared to the couple of seasons prior to that was the goaltending. You know, yeah. they had that huge run at the end of the 2013 shortened season. And that season also sticks out as, as a really fun, you know, fun period of time too. But Ultimately, they just they couldn't keep up from that perspective. Then the year after, um, they were actually okay, but again, the goaltending really let them down. So that the, that 2014-15 season, you take the emotion of what we thought was going to be the last season at the Coliseum with the strides that the team clearly took and the improvements that they made externally, which had been pretty, you know, pretty rare up until that point, um, and the team on the ice really delivered on it that that by far to me is the best team that this team has put out probably in the 25 plus years I've been a fan and you know you you attend uh, a lot of the analytics conferences which uh you know good on you because it's it's tend to be geared towards a lot of team oriented stuff and and I understand that when you're there as a, as a as a fan slash uh, more amateur analytics writer um you know, it it can be seem like I would imagine it seems a little bit of a divide between the people that are involved with teams or, or more uh, involved in in professional pursuits of it. But um, when when you see people that either are fans or work for other teams, you know, we we uh, you and I and lots of other Islander fans exist in that Islander bubble where we think all of the Islanders' uh, mistakes and and successes are specific only to them and can only happen to the Islanders. Um, but when you get out there and see the analytics community that's around the 30 other teams, do you find similarities to, to the way that the Islanders operate and similar complaints, I guess, from, from people who compile data that, uh, that their teams are not doing what they want them to be doing? Right. Yeah, I, I think it exists generally. I think, you know, in the time that I've attended conferences has been during the Lou Lamorello era. So by nature, there's just going to be a lot less information out there with regards to the Islanders. That's not exactly a secret. Um, but I do think in general, in terms of how people look at the game and how people are looking at the teams of which they root for or follow or cover, um, there's a there's a lot of similarities, right? And it kind of goes back to what I said before, which is, 
you know, coaches attack things in a certain way and general managers attack things in a different way that they're related to each other because they need to be on the same page. But there are so many different factors in play. And that's the biggest thing that I've learned from you and from those conferences is that uh, you have to understand that what you ultimately see on the ice is just the effect of all of the different things that go into decisions that are made prior to the players actually playing the game. And I think when you actually kind of take a step back and realize how much prep work and how many variables are in play, uh, it, it, to me, it was, it was kind of a moment of clarity where it was not like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be so worried about, uh, you know, a fourth line or, you know, Ross Johnson getting a couple of games with Matthew Barzell, because there is probably a reason why this is happening. Uh, and I don't need to know what that reason is, right? That's not my business ultimately. <laughs> um, but I think there has to be some level of credit given to the people that are actually, you know, making these decisions. They're not, no one, I don't think actively thinks that that's the best pairing, but when you're within the course of an 82 game season and there's going to be ups and downs and players need different pushes and things like that, um, things like that do potentially make sense in those moments. And we, it, getting caught up in the minutia of the day to day, things like line combos and stuff like that probably isn't ultimately where we're best suited to be, you know, giving our opinions. We'll get back to the show in a second, but first a word from Roman. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash Belmont for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Belmont for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Now, um, when you look around the league, and like I said, you know a lot of the people that are either involved in t- with teams or involved with uh, with data you know, compiling for other teams, uh, you know, you see some of the teams that that kind of publicly trumpet their their interest in analytics. So, you know, I think Arizona is one, Toronto is one, Jersey. You know, uh, do you do you look at the, those teams that have had what you'd call limited success during the era of of you know putting analytics forth as something that they feel is just as important as scouting or um, contracts or whatever else goes into the front office? Um, you know, and a lot of people, whether it's people on my side of the fence that that are want to stay in the dinosaur narrative era and say, "Ha ha, look, those teams haven't had success. They're not, you know, analytics doesn't mean anything." Versus um, more of the online community that that points to the analytics when things go well for those teams. Um, you know, it's 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 a never ending debate, right? And uh, where do you fall as someone who takes an interest really in in both sides of that, being a fan and also taking a, a keen interest in analytics. Yeah, and I think if you if you ask those teams uh, specifically about that, they'd say it, it's a balance. And, and I kind of stand with that too. I do think 
Um, to your point, there are a couple of teams, and Caroline is another one that really kind of put out the fact that they are invested in this, and that's something that people that are interested in data can really hold on to, right? That's like a little bit of, of validation, but also a little bit of um, just like, you know, there are some teams that are trying to be publicly progressive about it. But I think at this point, everyone's kind of aware that all 31 teams, soon to be 32 teams, are invested um, in analytics in, in some way. Uh, so I think at this point, that balance is probably a little bit, uh, or I guess that conversation has shifted a little bit instead of focusing so much on the things that Carolina or Toronto or Arizona are doing and more towards like, okay, which of these teams is the best at putting all of the pieces together, not just not just from a data perspective, but also the mix of players that they have working with the salary cap. That's a piece of it that really goes uh, unsaid is how to navigate through a, a salary cap that doesn't have a ton of flexibility on a year-to-year basis, even when it goes up. We're talking handful of millions. So right. who is the best at leveraging that um, versus who is leveraging a lot of the off-the-ice stuff, things like development, things like scouting, uh, things like enhanced video, stuff like that. And I think it's not just about who is who has the best coders or who is reading uh, spreadsheets and who's creating the best charts now. It's more about who has the best mix of information and is applying that mix of information in a way that ultimately is represented on the ice. And a couple of the teams that don't really get talked about a lot but do a, a very good job with that, um, Boston Bruins, uh, obviously, they you know were a game away from winning the Stanley Cup last year. They're an example of a team that I think leverages a lot of that information together well. Um, and then Columbus uh, is another team that has invested in a lot of different elements to this. And even with the loss of a couple of their best players, um, you know, as we sit, they're in basically in a virtual tie with the Islanders for the last playoff spot um, as well. So I, I think there are. It, it's less now about the actual like this is the staff that we have and more about who's applying all of these things together. Right. Um, and now as you sit here with lots of time on your hands and we all have lots of time on your hands because there's no data being generated. Um, have you thought about uh, in the last few months, you know, you mentioned Corsi and Fenwick. Those were kind of the, the early building blocks kind of, uh, you know, maybe back to the, the place to scene era of analytics. Uh, they're still around. And I think people that, that start to learn about analytics or take an interest still do find some value in in, in those numbers. Um, Corsi being, uh, what is it, unblocked shots for and against, uh, Fenwick being uh, same thing, but in a close game that's one goal either way. Um, I probably messed that up, right, didn't I? Uh, Corsi's all shot attempts, that's okay. All shot attempts, right, okay. Um, I do know what they are, I just didn't have it right in front of me. Um, <laughs> But now we're moving into uh, more of a phase, whether, uh, you know, I know that you use uh, a, a game score a lot. Um, you know, we mentioned PDO, which is kind of like a, a mid-range era uh, number. Are there are there values in the data now, maybe even ones that are unquantified areas that, that analytics writers um, and data researchers are trying to uncover that's kind of the next wave of how we can start to numerically understand a hockey game two things come to mind the first is defense just in general really understanding who plays at a team level and at a player level who is 
what actually constitutes strong defense. You know, I think we look at things as like, well, they don't allow a lot of shots or they don't allow a lot of goals, and so they must be good defensively. But it's more than that. It, it goes into things like, you know, outlet passes, uh, you know, giveaways in your own zone, positioning. Um, so much of it can be isolated down to a player level, which is what a couple of the guys in the community right now are trying to figure out. Uh, that's, that's number one. And the difference between defense and goaltending would be part of that as well. Um, and then the second thing is, and, you know, we don't know how much information the NHL is going to release when they're tracking a system gets put into place, but really understanding movement before shots and what constitutes actually a strong chance. Because I think we have a, a sense of that based off of, you know, being able to graph things at a coordinate level and also the type of shots that's being taken. Essentially, that's expected goals. But there's so much that happens on the ice before the shot is ultimately taken. So is it the passing? Is it the positioning? Is it the type of forecheck? Is it a mix of how a team is defending with all of those things? Uh, what And potentially, and it, you kind of can bubble it up into uh, what constitutes a, kind of a team having hockey sense and then conflating that into a high-scoring opportunity. And I think that's from an offensive perspective, trying to figure that out alongside with the defense is going to, I think, kind of move the hockey community from an analytics perspective forward into what the new frontier is things that what soccer has done in the past and what the NBA has, has really started working towards now too. And where do you see, you know, whether, whether we get to finish this season or not, where do you see the Islanders? Like you said, the salary cap plays a huge role. Um, you know, contracts that have been signed previously, you can't undo those. Do you see this Islander team in 2021 and beyond being a team that can be a, a competitive elite team in a very difficult division and conference? Or do you feel like, um, some of the flaws that were exposed in the last three or four months are things that are going to kind of systemically haunt them for, for a little while to come. Yeah, I, I think it depends, right? I, I think ultimately they're What window, a terrible answer. What a uh, terrible answer. You know? that's, that's the stats answer. <laughs> Everything depends. <laughs> okay. You guys always seem so sure of yourselves, though. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I, think it, I think it comes down to two things. The first thing is I think there needs to be an admission that their window to win is right now. They have a lot of contracts that are signed for a pretty long period of time with a lot of players that are in their late 20s to early 30s, which the reality is that is on the tail end of productivity, typically in the NHL these days. So if you go forward with a sense of like, okay, this is probably the next year or two years, maybe three is going to be the most productive that we get out of this team what are the things that we can do to maximize what we have? And so the first thing I look at is the third line is really uh, putting forth an effort to take away kind of the top six, bottom six mentality and work towards the top nine. And then your heavy, you know, Sezikis checking line on, on the fourth line there, because that will alleviate a lot of the pressure that's being placed on the first two lines to score a lot of goals. So I think, for example, the acquisition of, of JG Pajot really helped with that off the top because that's a solidifying presence on the third line for the foreseeable future right there. But there still obviously is a lot of work that needs to be done, done on the wings. It also kind of creates flexibility with how Barry Trotz can mix and match his lines throughout the course of the season because there really hasn't been a lot of that over the last two years. So I think a lot of their success ultimately does come down to their depth and obviously their level of goaltending because that's ultimately what the entire operation is predicated on. Um, 
but in terms of their competitiveness, yeah, I mean, they have an opportunity over the next couple of years to, you know, take advantage of, of the players that are producing, you know, for them right now. And, and uh, you never know what can happen if, you know, you give yourself a chance. But I do think um, ultimately once that window is passed, there is also going to have to be a quick reaction to that and an understanding that it might be time to rebuild. And while that, you know, would be an unfortunate reality, the longer that they try to stretch this core into wins that they may not have in, in them, the longer the, a rebuild could potentially last. And we kind of saw that happen 10 years ago where, you know, Garth Snow was, he identified pretty early on that the team needed to rebuild after one season of missing the playoffs. I think that kind of thing would need to happen again. But for now, um, there's opportunity for them to be successful, but it does come down to them actually filling out their depth. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think saying it depends, even though I made fun of you, is is pretty much spot on. We're gonna we're gonna see what this uh, what this organization has in store, hopefully um, for a, a wacky playoff run in the summer or uh, when we start up again in 2021. So. Thanks very much, Carrie. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at Habermetrics. Um, can you give us uh, the name of your own site, which I uh, blanked on almost as much as I blanked on Corsi, where you post most of your uh, your analytics work when there are games going on? Yes. Uh, you can find some of that stuff at thecapspace.com and then um, also on lighthousehockey.com. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Carrie. We really appreciate it. Get back to that baby of yours and uh, try to get some sleep. Thank you so much, Arthur. That's it for us this week, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to No Sleep Till Belmont. We'll be back again next week with uh, an Islanders-centric guest and hopefully some updates on what might be going on with the season. Take care and stay safe, everybody. Everybody.